The scripture reading from today comes from 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. In the spring of the year, when the time came for kings to go to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rahab. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking around the roof of the king's house that he saw from another roof a young woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, This is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliham and wife of Uraha the Huttite. So David sent messengers to her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period, and then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent a message to David and told him, I am pregnant. This has been the reading of the word. We're continuing our conversation about David, King David from the Bible, which comes to us from in First and Second Samuel, and David's also shows up in Chronicles and in uh, First and Second Kings, and kind of all over the place. And this story about David today, uh, really, there's kind of two two directions we could go with it. There, you know, it's it's kind of a story about grace and mercy and forgiveness and uh, making mistakes, big mistakes, huge mistakes, and uh, repenting of those things and receiving God's love. But it's also a story about what happens when people relinquish too much power to one person or to an elite group of people. So David... uh, has been king for a little while, and I get the feeling he's getting bored, kind of gets into his own head, and he sends his army to battle the Philistines and a few other names I can't remember, and uh, sends out his, his main commander, Joab, and he decides to stay back, which was probably his first mistake. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? (laughs) David should have been out there with his armies that he sent out uh, joining them in this effort, being the king, being the commander, being the warrior that, uh, that Samuel tells us he was called to be. But instead, he he stayed behind, and he's wandering around the palace one night, and he's out on the balcony, and across the courtyard, across the street back there in the alley, back past the alleyway, he catches a glimpse of a striking young woman named Bathsheba, who was bathing herself. So to start off with, he's a bit of a peeping Tom, right? And... <laughs> uh, and he's stricken by that. Uh, he, he's quite impressed with her. And being the king, he sends some servants to send for her. And the Bible says David knew her. And I won't get into what that means, but I'm sure we can all surmise. 
And as our text said today, turns she turns up pregnant. How did that happen? <laughs> so now David, for fear of this big controversy, for fear of all kinds of reprisal, for fear of how bad this is going to make him look, he sends for her husband, Uriah the Hittite. He sends to Joab, he says, send, send Uriah here. And he asks Uriah for a few, you know, how's, how's the war going? Give me an update. So he does that. And then he says, okay, go home and spend, you know, spend tonight and tomorrow at your house. He was hoping that he might have a home, you know, a nice homecoming. And uh, then he could pass off the child as Uriah's and not his. Well, Uriah felt bad. He's like, all my comrades are out battling. They're out living in tents out on the battlefield, and here I am. Am I going to go home and sleep in my wonderful bed and all of that? Never mind, the, you know, he's not saying anything to his wife. But <laughs> So he sacks out in the portico of the palace with all the other uh, peasants and servants. And... David gets up and sees him laying in front of the doorway, and he's like, don't <laughs> He's like, what's the matter? I thought you, why didn't you go home? He's, and he explains to him, and he goes, he's fine. He's like, well, go home then. And he sends a note with him to hand to Joab, his commander. And the note says, attack in one of the most fortified places and put Uriah at the front of the lines so that he might be killed in battle. Joab does that. And Uriah is killed in battle. Per David's instructions. Well, after a, an appropriate time of mourning, Bathsheba is moved into the household of David and becomes one of his many wives. And about five months later, a child is born, <laughs> which I'm sure nobody asked about, but probably a lot of speculation about this premature child. Uh, so David felt pretty good about it. He got away with it, right? He's got a lovely wife. He's starting a new family. Things are going, you know, they're, they're beating they're winning the war. All this great stuff is happening. He's feels, feeling good. Whew! Dodge that bullet. Well, pretty soon here comes Nathan. Nathan is the prophet after Samuel died. Nathan comes in. And David and the prophets never really got along very well. So here comes Nathan. And Nathan and David's kind of like, what do you want? What, am I, what have I done now? And he's a little indignant about it. But Nathan says, I need your help with something. Well, it's about time you asked me for my help. I think I'd be happy to help you with something. He says, I got a little dispute. And Nathan tells a story. There's a man, a very wealthy man, who has lots of cattle, lots of servants, lots of land, lots of sheep. And one of his servants has one precious lamb 
that he cares for and he loves like it's its own like it's his own child eats from his dish drinks from his cup sleeps in his bed it's a little weird relationship really but he he just loves you know it's like his dog it's like his his favorite pet right wonderful relationship it's it's like one of his own children well, a bunch of, you know, the, the master of this great household throws a big party. People are coming from out of town. But instead of taking one of the lambs from his hundreds of sheep, he takes this servant's one sheep. And he kills it and serves it to his guests. Nathan says, well, what, what would you do in a situation like that? What would you do with that? David. David says, surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. We should kill him. Nathan turns to him and says, you are the man. Prophets are so cool. (laughs) You are the man. And then he proceeds to speak the word of the Lord to David. And God says, I have given you everything. I have given you everything. And you have, you have multiple wives. You have all these wives. Your pick of all the women in Israel who are single. And you choose to murder my servant Uriah. And God goes into a long list of consequences from that. And yet, there is, as he's doing this, David feels the shame of it once he's caught feels the shame of it and falls to the ground and throws dust on his hair and is sincerely repentant and Nathan says God is not going to take the crown from you you will remain king but there's going to be a lot of changes and I you know I will say David uh, sincerely seemed to have repented in the midst of this, seemed to feel the weight of it all. He, uh, in response, we are told that Psalm 51 was written by David after being confronted by Nathan. Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. 
So David owned up to it. He, he was cornered. He was caught. And he said, yes, it was me. I did that. Uh, and he repented. And I guess I want to say it's, it's comforting to know. I'm going to put this here. It's comforting to know that we, when we fall short, when we deliberately go a direction other than that which God would have us take, when we, when we sin, when we flat out sin and we do it on purpose, that it's not the end of the story, that there is, that, that the relationship with God continues, that God's love is still available to us, that we can go from that place to a different place, to a better place, that we can go from being our basest selves to being our best version of ourselves. God gives us that capacity, and it begins with this repentance. It begins with saying, I was wrong, I sinned, and turning away from that sin and turning toward God. That's what repent literally means, is turning toward God and turning away from our sin. And we're told in Scripture that after that day, after David repented, he never sinned again in the eyes of the Lord. But good on David. I, and, and thank God we have, I mean, if it's, uh, you know, part of the message for us here today is that, you know, if David, with all the stuff he just did, can find his way back to God, and find his way back to his best self. Certainly, all of us can too. Amen? Amen. But you know, this story, there's another, there's another side of this coin. And that is, how did we get here? How did we get here? Now, I picked this series a long time ago. And I didn't realize this. But, you know, this, this story is very shockingly pertinent to the world we live in today and even this week. Am I right? <laughs> it's a pertinent story. And I have to ask myself, how did we get here? How did we go from David, man after God's own heart, hero of Israel, faced down Goliath with God's own strength, completely committed, completely committed to the ways of God. That's why God made him king. You are com David, you are completely committed to my word, to the things I want for this world, the things I need. How do we go from there to David forsaking his calling and choosing instead adultery, lying, deceit, and murder? Murder. How do we get there? And it has to do with this thing we do. We as people, we tend to elevate individuals or elite groups we we lift them up or they take this upon themselves and we give them more power than they need deserve or can handle in this world and and you know we and we can look at it it's like i ripped this stuff from the headlines of today uh priests who abuse children because they've been elevated to a plane where they think that the normal rules don't apply to them. Politicians who, who 
go about their business and feel above the law and above reproach and above being held accountable. Celebrities who behave as though they live in a completely different world and, and uh, are not held accountable unless they're black and are not, uh, are not called on it. How did we get here? We have this thing in us that wants to lift people up. And it just doesn't work. And God warned us. God warned us. I put it right here, didn't I? (laughs) Uh, When the people in the beginning of Samuel, Samuel 8, the people said, Hold on. I need my other microphone. People came to Samuel and they said, we want a king over us. We want someone who's going to, you know, take care of business, be over us and and lead us in battle and stuff like that. And Samuel says, you have a king, Yahweh. Yahweh is your king. And they said, no, 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 no. We want a king we can see. We want to be like other countries. We want to be like other nations. Samuel goes to God and God says, well, fine. Give them what they want, but tell them this is what's going to happen. And so Samuel comes back and he says this. He says, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before the chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and wives, and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his uh, courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. And the list goes on and on. God warned us. You you think you want a king, but this king will take everything away from you, including your daughters, and you won't be able to do anything about it. And we've, we've done this in so many quarters. And not the least of which are clergy. And I, I want to say this. We have got to stop lifting clergy up above everybody else. We've got to let go of this notion that because someone feels a sense of calling into the ministry, that somehow they have been anointed in a special way from God that makes them different than everybody else, that they are not to be questioned or they are not to be judged or they are to be given absolute power. We've got to stop that because it leads to abuse. It leads, it leads to bad theology. It leads to a lot of different things. (laughs) I'm here because, well, you know, I feel a sense of calling by God and maybe, and we're a good match, but really I'm here because when the committee was looking for someone, they looked at my 
education and my experience. <laughs> and based on my education and my experience, that was, the, that was the first thing they looked at before they ever looked at anything else. No one above me come and said, Curtis was anointed by God. I put my hands on him and prayed for him. Uh, therefore, he's your leader now. And you listen to everything he says. No. Those of you who are coming to the Baptist class, you're going to learn about this. But <laughs> no, no. There was a group, uh, this congregation said, well, I like his, I like his education. I like his, uh, his, ed- his experience. And we'll get to know him a little bit and judge from there and decide whether we're going to call him or not, <laughs> whether it's a good fit. There's not a special anointing. That comes with that. And we need to stop doing that with our politicians, with our celebrities, with our sports figures, with our clergy. We've got to hold people as people and hold them to the same standards we have. And we've got to let God be the one who's exalted. Amen? We've got to let God, we've got to let Jesus Christ and God through Christ be lifted up. Not any human being. When Jesus is Lord. Amen? Jesus is Lord. And what that means is Caesar is not. It was subversion when people called Jesus Lord. It was treason when people called Jesus Lord because Caesar was Lord. But we have got to go back to that. We have got to call Jesus Lord. Amen? We have got to call Jesus Lord. Amen? Amen. And nobody else. Nobody else. And then we can start opening our eyes and let people be people and see people as people and not give ourselves over to whatever it is that causes us to exalt them and want to have a king like everybody else. Let us pray. Lord God, Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that you are above all human beings and that when we honor your lordship over us, that you respond with grace and mercy, that you treat us gently, that you walk us in righteous paths, and that everything you do is for our benefit, not for yours, for ours. Why we would ever choose a human being to lord over us, I don't know, but we do. Help us not to do that. And help us to hold those who feel they are above reproach accountable for the hurt and the harm they do. Extinguish and get rid of um, those who do harm in your name. Take those clergy who are abusive out of the ministry. Take those politicians who are crooked out or, or help us do it. And take those who use their power abusively. Take them out of power and lift up those who are righteous. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.